Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm. What an episode. Dumb and dumber. <laughs> That's you and me, Troy. I, know, I was going to say, he's looking he at you and I. We'll get him. There's two How are you, gentlemen? Very, very good. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I thought today would be a good day to have a bit of comic relief, but the same way it's educational. And what I did is I did a Sunday night rant um, two weeks ago about five dumb things I see sales managers and agents do. And I thought, you know, they are dumb. They're things that probably we sometimes all do. Yeah. But I thought we'll unpack each one and just get your view on each. Perfect. Okay. Cool. So can I move straight in? Yeah, number one. Um, first one pertains more to a sales manager or a principal. Mm. And that is that they criticize an employee, not their behavior. What's, what's, what's your, John, you've had, like, you have had thousands of staff over the years, right? Mm. You know, how do you, have, you know, good leadership management of people? Well, look, I, I think another phrase we hear a lot is, you know, you've got to um, play the ball, not the man, in a sporting phrase, that don't attract, attack the individual because then people will be very defensive. Critique, if you need to, the behaviour or the action because then people kind of depersonalise it a bit. So one of the things, you know, why, why do you give feedback? Because you want someone to improve and not make the same mistake again, and you want them to grow out of the experience. So what you need to be careful of as a coach or mentor or sales manager is that you don't actually get their defence barriers up. So the minute I say something that feels like I'm attacking you, there is a natural reaction to kind of put out the defence barriers and go into defence and excuse and you don't understand. Yeah. If I said something like, you know, Tom, you're one of the most incredible employees I've ever had in this company. I'm so delighted to have you on board. And because I know you really like to grow and it's important for you, I saw something the other day that I just kind of didn't feel like it fitted what I know is your intent and your personality. And I just thought I'd let you know in case you didn't pick it up. So firstly, I'm giving you the praise that you deserve. Now, yeah. it can't be false. You don't say yeah. that to someone that's actually not doing a great job. Right. But assuming most people that you're with that you do need to give some constructive feedback, Troy, they're good people and they, they have done good work for you. They're not people that are going through a performance management process. Correct. Yeah. So I think, you know, you've, you've got to kind of give them that praise to let them know that you care for them and then say there was something I saw the other day, or this is just an example, something I saw the other day that just didn't quite fit with the Troy that I know. Mm. I saw you, you know... I like this. that because what you're actually saying is... You're good as a person, but it's this behaviour that doesn't fit in with... You're better than that. Yeah. And by the way, you, you may not have even realised, because a lot of people don't realise. I don't think any people get up in the morning and intend to piss someone off or, or tear someone down. But that happens, or give sloppy service. So I think if you, if you do that, and, and you know, often it's called the praise sandwich. Yeah. I know Mike Shigold used to talk about that, which yeah. is you know, give, give someone a positive stroke. Let them know the behaviour or the activity that you thought was suboptimal, yeah. and then finish on a positive. And you know, just say, "Look, I hope you didn't mind that because I know you're a great person. I know you want to be the best in the business. I want you to be the best too." And I just felt compelled to give you that feedback. So, kind of, you you, you start and end with a positive in an authentic way, and then in the middle, you give the critique of the activity or the action, not the person. Yeah. What do you think, Troy? Is that? Yeah. No, hundred percent right. And I also think. An observation over the years of being in a lot of coaching sessions with John is the environment's always set. So it's say more about that. Well, you're not doing it publicly. You're not doing it in a position that they may feel embarrassed or they may feel threatened. 
yeah. by their peers sharing that. So one thing that I have noticed over the years is it's always done in a safe environment. And I think most leaders that fall into the trap of attacking the person instead of the behavior try and do a knee-jerk reaction to it yeah. instead mm-hmm. of saying, hey, do you have five minutes? I just want to have a quick chat about something. That changes the dynamic, and it's and consultative. A, what I think you pick up as well, I hope you pick up, because it's certainly where it comes from for me, is the intent. Yeah. When the intent is, I really care, you don't have to say all this, but you need to have it inside your DNA when you're saying, I really care, I'm, I'm more committed to your success than I am worried about offending you, and I'm not wanting to offend you. Yeah. Um, you're a really good person, I know you're better than this. When, when that kind of comes through the vocab, then people get it. If you just say, Tom, I can't believe what you said yesterday. I heard you say that to a client and just like, oh, I cringe. All of a sudden, you're kind of feeling like you're personally being attacked and the defence barrier goes up. So, yeah. so I think that's a really good one. What's the second so, one? So, Johnny, on that point, can I just share, um, Susan that works with me said to me about three months ago, we're just having a conversation. She said, Tom, do you think people do the best they can? Good question. And I said... What do you mean, Susan? She goes, I've been listening to a Brené Brown audio book. Mm. <laughs> and best. The question she said is, do you think people are doing the best they can? And she said that she asked one person who then asked another person, and then it became a talking point. And I said, well, Susan, do I think people are doing the best they can? I said, it's a difficult question for me uh, to answer, but I said, at times, I feel like they're not. And she goes... Do you think it would be a useful belief to think that people are doing the best that they can? Because if if you think that, and it was it was a, it was a light bulb moment for me. If you take the approach that people deliberately don't want to actually not do the best that they can, yeah, it's you know a habitual process. It's a circumstance. They might not have the knowledge to actually do anymore. And I just just listening Did she to say you? all this just before she confessed to screwing something up terribly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is this a pre-frame? Setting the environment. No, we love Susan. Susan. We know yeah, we love. Her. Like, um, <laughs> hello, Susan. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know the answer to that question, John, but it's beginning making me think now. Yeah, I'd go and check. <laughs> I'd go check. But in, it, it in is context, a great question. Do, whether you think people are doing the best they can. And Chris Helder, as you were at an event, that we were I was at, with him today. He's brilliant, and, yeah. and he talks about useful beliefs. I think it's a useful... My take on that would be slightly different to Susan's, but I know where she's going. My take on that would be um, it's a useful belief to know that no one stuffs up on purpose, right? Correct. No one actually tries to screw up an interaction or an experience or a sale or a lease signing or whatever. Um, I think that's a really useful belief because you come to that point and say, I know that this was not your intention. However, it looked to me this is what happened. And I'd love to talk about how we can actually create a better experience going forward. It's also, however, a useful belief, I think, that all of us know that there is more within us and there's, everyone is operating below their potential. I think that's just probably a, a, reasonable, a reasonably safe statement. Now, some people might be operating at 80 or 90% of their potential. Most people, Troy, I think, are operating at 10, 20 or 30%. Mm. So I think that's also a useful belief, not to be critical of them, but to say, I know. And when I was having that, um, I was mentioning last week the, the coaching session with Simon Nolan, is, and he gave me his kind of expectation or goal for this year. And I, 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 my, my intent of that was to pull him to a higher level, not because his goal that he was setting was not a good one, but I, I want to see how much someone can stretch themselves. I see that's a part of my job whilst on the planet is to stretch someone to the maximum of their potential. 
So uh, yeah, I think it, it is a useful belief to realise that no one screws anything up on purpose, but it's also a useful belief to know that whoever you're dealing with, there's there's more potential that you can help them extract for themselves. Yeah. Number two was what? Number two. Um, uh, and this came about me being at an auction, watching an agent, taking names at an open house. The queue's about 30 people long. Mm-hmm. It was a hot day. So was this the auction or the open home? This is um, the, the auction open. and the open home. So the, the open, open just before, before the auction. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So what's happening is there's a queue of people coming in mm. and there's a young agent. He looks fantastic, well-dressed and everything. Um, but obviously, people well, Obviously he wasn't Tringali. It, was, it wasn't Michael. It wasn't Michael Tringali. <laughs> Sorry, sharp. Michael. He, no, he looks sharp. You, Every no, time I see good. Tringers, he is sharp. The mayor of Haberfield. The mayor of Haberfield. Keep so, going. No, so, better. And, and what's happening is people are getting agitated because they want to get into the house. And I noticed that he's taking a long time to take their details. And then I would ask this question, and it's one that I've used in training a lot. And I say he's asked people, you know, are they looking to purchase a home and that's why they're looking, are they researching for selling purposes or are they buying or browsing? And he's having prolonged conversations Mm. with people. While 30 people wait. While 30 people waiting. And and John and Troy, what this is about is that there's some language and winning phrases and words that you make yours, but the issue is that there are some people that can't take training and execute it in the real world because they have this... Uh, lack of ability to read the play, to be able to adjust and be flexible based on the circumstances. Great point. So I think where you're going there, Tom, was some hot day, Saturday afternoon, 30, you would actually probably say, everyone, look, please come in. I don't want to keep any of you. I'll try and get around as you go through the property and, and introduce myself, but please come. That's what I would do. Yeah. And yet some agents, they feel like they're dormant at a private club. No, yeah. no, no, you can't come. You have to give me your ID, your phone number. And I just say to people, look, the owner has asked that we'd like to get that. If, if you're offended by that, please come through anyway because we want you yeah. to have a good experience. So again, you have to be flexible, Tom. So what was the, the mistake in that? It was just the, not, not applying? The, 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 the mistake, John, is I think probably what a good thing would have been is not to spend two or three minutes mm. exploring the personal's needs there while there's 20 totally or 5 people Totally agree, but what waiting. was the thing? Someone was too rigid? What was the, the, the thing that agents do wrong? Or, People yeah. do wrong. That, that, that I think they... Not having awareness. They, 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 uh, and it's a difficult thing to explain because some people can read the play. Some people have got this ability to actually say the right thing for that right now is to quickly just jot their details, let them come through, and then we actually... This is probably not the open house where I'm going to spend three or four minutes with each person. I'm probably going to have to be nice. ringing back and having conversations with them on Saturday afternoon. So, Tommy, my, yeah, my, my sort of take on that is this is an experience economy more than a service economy. Yeah. Technically, you might be sitting there servicing the vendor by taking the names and numbers, but you're giving 28 people a bad experience. So you have to do whatever it takes in any given moment to give the people you're serving a great experience. Yeah. Standing in the sun for seven minutes yeah. when they're trying to get to the next one and is not a great experience. So... I agree with that. So how do we encapsulate that? We talk about train and practice, but also in the moment, make good decisions. Correct. Based on customer service. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. What was the third one? The third one is um, the use of some terms that we sometimes use them unconsciously, but they turn people off. Mm. And they are when a real estate agent says, look to a client, to be honest with you. Is that suggesting to them that the 45 minutes prior to that, 
they weren't being honest or when they used terms like, oh, let me take my salesperson's hat off for a moment. Is that suggesting that the rest of the time I'm actually going to be talking to you with one uh, idea to, you know, to sell to you? Look, the answer is technically yes. I think that, to be honest, is, is quite a common phrase. I'm not sure everyone would unpack that to the degree that we're about to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and say, does that mean you haven't been on it? But you're right, subconsciously, that will say to someone, even if they don't think about it, you know, was that condescending? Does that mean they haven't been honest until that moment? Salespeople, part of their job is they're being wordsmiths. They have to use the right words to convey the right message. Mm. And if you use the wrong word, you can derail a relationship and all the good work you've done before that. So it was interesting, and I won't go into too much detail around this, but one of our guys the other day, we were selling a property worth around, you know, four, four and a half million-ish, thereabouts, and um, the vendor would love to get five, but probably knows that that's, that's a bit of a stretch, but was, that's their kind of dream price. And, and, and a buyer came through and they've got a property worth about eight. And uh, it was interesting because I, uh, I was talking to the vendor and I said, you know, you're happy the way things are going. He said, yeah, look, I'm very happy they're doing a great job, but I was concerned the other day, someone came through and they've got eight million to spend and the agent said to him, the vendor, well, they've got enough money, their property's worth about twice what yours is. And he wasn't being condescending or rude, but that stuck in the vendor's mind. He said, yeah. no, no, no. He said, does that mean you think mine's only going to go for four? Now, whether it does or it doesn't, time will tell. Yeah. But it, it, that little phrase, yeah. it ran the risk and it almost did derail all the brilliant work you'd done. And my coaching with that, with our agent was, you just have to be very careful. And you, it's like a chess game. You have to be thinking ahead. So you don't want to say anything that will offend, derail, destabilise a relationship. So when you say, to be honest, or I'll take my salesman's hat off, I, I kind of feel that's a 1980s phrase because actually you shouldn't be a salesman at any point. You should be a human being interacting yeah. with another human being. Yeah. The fact that you're selling a house and I happen to be someone that sells houses is kind of interesting but not a, the most important thing. You're a human being that has a need and I'm a human being that would like to solve your current problem, which is you want to get out of this house. So I do think as a general, a general concept, people have to be more careful in their choice of words. That doesn't mean be nervous. It just means... Be thinking ahead. Is what I'm saying supportive of the client? Um, is it what I'm about to say going to offend the client or risk the relationship? John, Johnny and Troy, you can throw in at this because I know that you'd agree with me. Mm. JM would be as good as I've seen, and I, I, I don't think that there's a person in this in the last decade that would have interviewed more agents than me. Mm. Johnny's got you've got the ability. Like I know with you. If I've got to do an interview, there's no need for questions emailed to you before. Mm. I know if I've got to have a conversation, I can basically have the conversation once. That's live Mm -hmm. with you there. It's a great skill to have. Can people, like, I, I can't get over the amount of guys or girls that I interview that write 4 million, or the units do, 5 million, that tell me that they have sleepless nights about the questions I was going to ask him. To the point, I'm, I'm sure you've gone through it as well, John. I'm getting text messages at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Can you talk? I'm stressing over this thing. And then when you find out, you, you think that it was a major issue. Well, it is a major issue in their eyes at that time. I shouldn't say it's not a major issue. John and Troy, is that something that, you know, being able to 
convey on the spot, knowing what to say at the right time, natural or learned? Can it? I, I think almost everything in life is learned. And I think that's a useful belief anyway, because whether you want to learn to play golf, tennis, or piano, or be a great mm. salesman, I think it's just a skill that's practiced. I guess, and thank you for the very kind things you said, Tom, for me, it's about and when people offer to send me the questions, I actually say I don't want them. Yeah. Because I actually want to respond genuinely, authentically to the question. I don't want to overthink, well, if Tom asked me that, what am I going to say? Yeah. Because that might have me start manufacturing something that's not real. I'd rather be in the conversation. And I say to people, look, when you're with a friend chatting about anything, you're at dinner and having a chat, you don't have to prepare for it. You just turn up and you be you and you engage and you're focused on the conversation and you talk. Yeah. And I think, in a way, now, in a sales sense, does that mean that scripts, dialogues, learning to deal with objections is inauthentic and useless? No, because when someone says to you, look, at 1%, I'm not going to give you the deal. Sorry, 2.5%, I'm going to give you the deal. At 1%, I will. You do need to be comfortable in that moment to give them your thinking. So don't kind of practice too much on real-life vendors. Think about, if I was asked this or given this objection, what is, what is my position or view on this? Yeah. Not what is the statement I must make, because that's going to sound, but what is my position on fee discounting? What is my position on overpricing? And how would I communicate that so they understand where I'm coming from? So I, I think because, like you, Tom, and, and you, Troy, we, we're all fortunate that we do a lot of this stuff publicly and, and podcasts, in workshops, Q&As, Sunday rants, and auctions. Yeah. The more you do it, because, you know, we're accomplished, I would like to think, you know, we're, we're, we're competent at least, maybe a bit better than competent auctioneers, because we've done a lot of them. But you remember yeah, back the yeah. first one you did, it would have yeah. been crap, and I never saw it, but I just know yeah. everyone's first yeah. auctioneer is yeah. auction is yeah. terrible. So it's a matter of practice, but it's practicing with a purpose. Practicing the same old, same old, if you're not that good with it, good at it, is not going to make you really good at it, it'll make you a bit better at it, but you have to... So when I learned auctioning, as I think I've told you guys, you know, I went down and I watched Greg Hocking and I watched uh, Tim Derham and, and uh, Christopher Corrine in Melbourne, uh, Andy Stewart or Hocking Stewart. Um, and uh, these are the guys that I felt at the time were, were the best. And I used to record them on a little old black dictaphone. <laughs> and then I'm on the plane back and I'm back and I'm writing down the phrases that they said that got a laugh or that got a reaction. And I'm phrases that I thought would be good. And then I just went home, practiced it and practiced it. And then I videoed myself. And then I got critiques from people. So I th there's no doubt the more you practice something, if you're purposeful on the practice, so you're not just going through like a, like a monkey regurgitating something, you're thinking about it, how does that sound, was the energy right? You get some external feedback in, you're going to improve. And you might even go to an elite level. I'm not saying everyone in the world can be Tiger Woods or whoever is the current world's best golfer. Everyone can be a lot better golfer than they currently are though. So, um, yeah, I think it's you know, ev everything is learned. I've got to say, Troy, I've seen a massive improvement. Like, over the three, four years of the yeah. podcast, auctioneering, you know, I've watched you do training sessions at MDA uh, Boot Camp. That's something that, I don't know whether it's been conscious or, you you know, it's just more work. I've noticed you've dramatically improved your uh, presentation skills and your ability to respond uh, in a timely and relevant manner. Well, I said that to you last week, right? Exactly. Yeah, we had leadership said, in Troy. Oh, you thank have, you. You've gone to a new level. Yeah. And, and I remember some of the feedback I gave you, Troy, a while ago, which I think you reacted to, was 
it's easy to be in presenter mode or in auctioneer mode. Mm. And you can be a brilliant presenter in presenter mode. But I think you're a much better presenter when you shift from presenter mode to human being mm. and have a conversation rather than talk at people, talk with them. Yeah. And same as auctioneers, it's funny, often you'll see, um, sometimes I'll do client breakfasts or lunch and, and someone who often is the auctioneer they stand up and they introduce, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. My name is Bill Smith and I'm here and John McGrath's about to speak. So have your steak and eggs and then your scrambled eggs. Once, <laughs> twice. <laughs> but it happens. It's and, true. And they don't mean, it's but, true. but they're in that mode. Yeah. And I'm saying, man, just like, just talk to the people. Say, hey, everyone, thanks for coming today. It's really nice to see you all. Just have a conversation as though it was a one-on-one. Yeah. But I don't take it for granted because I know that I do a lot of it and you guys do a lot of it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't do a lot of it, but... You have to, frequency definitely builds competence. So the more you do it, and I remember speaking to Dr. Fred about this, because Dr. Fred, in terms of word pictures, Mm. he is better than anyone. (laughs) And he just, he sits and he encapsulates, and he he just pulls from God knows where, the universe, these incredible pictures, and you get it. Mm. Rather than just stringing a lot of words together in sentences and hope you understand the logic, he talks about, well, this is like... And you say, wow, okay, I get that. Um, oh, it's funny you say that because I was having a conversation with someone at um, REA about where they're working and um, they described their situation and all I said is it sounds like you've got a four-wheel drive but you're never really taking it out and you're getting a bit perfect, stale. And perfect. it was like, yes, it was like... Um, so I do agree, the metaphor perfect. of an image... Um, Mindful of time, we've done three. Let's do we one got, more. We've got oh, two more. Two more. Two I reckon more. you can you can nail this one because I reckon this one is so underrated, and I think people know it. You, I mean, John, you ask. Troy always asks, and that is people don't people that don't care about people's personal life. I think it's really difficult to do business without actually having an interest in people's personal life. Tom, in fact, it gets worse. I hear a lot of managers say words to the effect of, I'm behind in my budget, I need you to pick your game up. Mm. So what, what I'm telling you in that instance, and I would never say that, but is basically you are a means to me getting my bonus. Yeah. Literally, people have said it. And, you know, it's amazing what, you, what results you can achieve in all areas of life when you connect with someone at a deep, meaningful, authentic level. Yeah. They know you care about them. Uh, they know you give a damn about what's, what's in their life and you connect with them, you can move mountains. Whereas you come up and you're trying to sell something because you want a commission mm. or you're, you're trying to coach someone because you want to earn your budget, Yeah, it, it, it's superficial stuff. It might hit 10%, then you've got 90% that doesn't hit. So, And same with the listing. Mm. You know, you've got to be an agent or a human being that goes in there and talks to the client that really gets to understand how they're feeling. Mm. But so many agents, all they want to do is get the signature on the line yeah. to hit their bonus for the month, to get their 2% commission, and it comes through. So I, I totally are behind. I, this John, I, I heard at an airport lounge three days ago a conversation between <coughs> a person talking to someone on the phone, and obviously this person was the client. His words were this. Look, that's well and good that you're expanding, but expanding doesn't help my situation. Right. And that was, like, to me, yeah. that was a real, you know, like this person did not care that this person's saying, we're growing and doing this. That's right. He goes, 
it doesn't affect my situation. What's in it for me? I had, I had one similar to that, and it talks a lot about people first and having those boundaries. Um, uh, young agent that's not working in our brand, but uh, contacted me on LinkedIn and and was talking about listings and hitting targets and hitting budgets and, and the feedback from their manager. They asked the question on how to overcome it. Their feedback from their manager was, I didn't come here to coach you on how to become an average agent. And I just thought, whoa, whoa. First yeah. of all, you've just lost people. Mm. You can't lose people in this situation. You've got mm. to care about them yeah, and genuinely take, take an interest. As soon as you lose that person, it takes months and months, if not a longer period I take, of time. Troy, I take this, this, this thing about people and the way you speak to people, I take it, it's a serious issue. Today we had an event with Kate Strickland. Yeah. Someone from Marshall White last year, under 40, committed suicide. Yeah. In the same week, another 22-year-old mm-hmm. real estate agent in Melbourne committed suicide. You know, this is a serious issue. The way you, you should never judge the way people are. You don't know what's going on in their lives. No. Everyone's going through something, and you know, to me, suffering is a lot more common than we're actually thinking in, yeah. in real estate. Yeah. And the other thing is well that, said. regardless of the age, regardless of the age, if they've been in the industry for a long time, you still need to understand the person first. Yeah. And you can't just go with, that's my target. And if you don't do that, well, yeah. I didn't And, and everyone, Troy, this is not a cookie-cutter world. Everyone no. has got different things happening and different hot buttons and different sensitivities and different experiences. So you have to treat everyone as an absolute individual inside your office, outside. Mm. Yep, okay, that's good. Last one. Last one. Lucky last. Lucky last. Um, and probably more on a managers or even if you're working with assistants or C, uh, CSMs people that take credit for other people's work you know um, it's not a smart thing to do on the surface it's an easy thing to do but down the track what actually happens is you lose faith with the people people actually feel like why am I going to work for this uh, uh, person when um, and I see it with head agents with some of their 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 assistants doing it I've also seen it in the corporate world as someone that's worked at News Corp you know um, one of the things that you see is that you know um, uh, uh, you've got someone that's run around and done all this work and their work is never recognised and someone else takes the credit. That is very dumb and, and I remember it reminds me of a phrase that goes something like the opposite of that which is it's amazing how much you can get done if you don't mind who gets the credit. Right. And if you can, if you're bigger than that and give the credit, so even if you have been an integral part or the major part mm. of it, you should be saying, you know, well, if I didn't have a great team around me and Troy's done a tremendous job because it lifts them up. Yeah. And the key, th- it, that's a really key thing, but it is common. Yeah. You know where it comes from, Tom, it's, it's just eager. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and egotistic leaders and managers don't get very far. You have to be the opposite. You need to be humble and you need to give all the credit elsewhere because you don't need it. Yeah. And you always say, John, leave your ego at the door. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, something I'm always conscious with, and I say that to a lot of the guys we coach, is, all right, so this is a safe place. Let's leave egos at the door and let's have a real conversation. Yeah. But I think you need to be really, if you're in a leadership position and you're having that conversation, you need to be really mindful of the words that you use as well mm. to make sure mm. they're always from a positive point of view. Yeah. Going back to what we spoke about previously, the praise sandwich, where we've, you know, Michael Sheargold has shared a lot, 
you need to be really mindful of your words and, and that's probably something that I've learned from both of you guys over the recent years and spending two years in the car with Scott Kennedy Green, our chief auctioneer, watching and learning his dialogue and being mindful of the words that you use to always encourage people instead of deter mm. them. Great, great book. The Four Agreements by uh, Miguel Ruiz, Co- who Ruiz, says Ruiz, one yeah. of the rules is your word is impeccable. Correct. What you say affects lives. He yeah. even makes the, the, the comparison to Hitler. Mm. Hitler, the, the power of being a great uh, a wordsmith, you know. So it's but, funny, Tom, you mentioned that because so many people, when I get, whenever I hear this, I get really uh, humbled and excited when people say, JM, remember like when I started 10 years ago, you said to me, boom, boom, boom. And I think, wow, I actually said something a decade ago that's helped you. Yeah. And, and little things. And I think back, you know, sometimes you think back when people say, so who have been your biggest influences? And you can think back to like a year six yeah. teacher that said, Tom, always yeah. boom, boom, boom. And so it is incredible that yeah. you just don't know what, with what you're about to, and can, can work negatively, by the way. Yeah. You can actually bring someone down and have them you know, impacted to the negative for life, or you can lift someone up by just by caring, taking time. I heard, I'll think who it is in a minute, but I heard someone was talking about someone who's very successful and very busy, but they said, you know, we're, actually, no, they, yeah, they talk about Brent Courtney. I was with uh, someone today and they talked about Brent Courtney and they said, you know, uh, I went to a cafe and uh, this guy is Brent's neighbour. And he said, oh, Brent's great and he's so successful. And I know he's really busy, but I've got to tell you, whenever I see him on the street, he stops and he chats like he's got all the time in the world. Yeah. And that's how he makes me feel. And I thought, mm. well, that's one of the reasons Brent Courtney's a $4 million rider and a great person is because of that little word picture there. The guy said, I know he's busy. I know how successful he is. I know he's got a million things in on. But whenever he sees me in the street, he stops and he talks and he asks about me and my family. And he said he feels like he's not in a rush. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's how you make people feel that's critical. Um, and what I liked about today's little, that's the five we've done, but generally in these podcasts we're, we're talking about you know, giving people some encouragement, advice, ideas to go forward. We've, we've unpacked it from the other ways by saying, well, hang on, these are some of the things you need to avoid. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's quite a, an interesting... I do. I just want to mention, because last week I did talk about catching up with Bowie. Bowie's one of our dear friends in the business, and he's done a phenomenal yes. job shifting from agent. So all the people out there that are really good agents that one day want to be a coach or a... Or so, a so, so, John, he's, he's now a, a sales... He's a, well, yeah, he's a senior, senior executive in the business, yeah. but he's basically gone from being a multi-million dollar agent to a, a sales executive. Yeah. And um, he's, he's made a profound impact. But he was just telling me at breakfast the other day last week that he, when he loses a listing, or when he used to lose a listing, which wasn't very often, by the way, he was probably an 80% guy, 75, 80% of the stuff he went for he got. He said, if I lost it, John, I used to, I used to send them a card and a bunch of flowers, thanking them for the opportunity to meet them, mm-hmm. thanking them for considering me and wishing them well in the sale. Now, contrast that with a lot of agents that we all hear about that actually hang the phone up. When someone rings say, Tom, look, I've got some really bad news. It's been a tough decision, but... I've decided to go with Troy. And the number of times people over the years have said to me, Troy, he's useless. I can't believe this. You've wasted my time. Well, anyway, you'll get what you deserve. And they slam the phone down. And I've heard heard so many vendors say, thank God I didn't choose that agent. Now I know what they're really like. Mm. And then I heard the contrast, which I'd never heard before Bowie tell the story about he sends flowers to people. And I thought, well, that's a class act. 
graciously losing a listing. And he also sets himself up for a lifelong relationship with that mm. customer. Because who knows, when they sell down the track, they'll remember that. Smart boys playing the long game. Success leaves clues. Like Adrian has been part of our business for the last 23 years and within the top 5 6% of our business for probably 23 of those years as well. well. He was number one for a number of years. number yeah. of years. So, um, you know, why not? Like, I think that's just absolute... Anyone that's thinking about how can I create a point of difference in the market, how can I create clients for life, implement that strategy. What, the cost of flowers, 10 or $15. Yeah. No, no, Troy, get in the real world. 100 bucks. that doesn't matter. Oh, <laughs> so well, no, but you what can... What flowers do you get? Well... It's $100 anyway. 20, 20, well, well, you're, not losing any, you're not losing any listings. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably because you haven't been going to any, Troy. It's like, the, what do they say? Do you they can, you the can... Prime Minister, how much for a bottle of milk? Everyone will say it. You can get Troy, a good bunch 10, of flowers. You, you can. You can get it. One, one other little thing that, I, that came to mind, Troy, you don't buy flowers for $10. You might buy one flower for $10. Um, David Howe at our Northbridge office, he's one of the partners in our Lower North Shore business, and, and he did a similar, not a oh, semi-similar thing, was when he went to a property that was tenanted that he was asked to sell and he got the listing, he would then go back and thank the tenants and explain the process of inspections and work out a suitable time that's going to work for them. And he'd always give them a beautiful bottle of red wine. Like, you know, not a 10 or $15 one, Troy, maybe a 50 or 60 but, you know, something that was nice. And he'd say, look, I just want to thank you for letting me through. And I know there will undoubtedly be a little bit of inconvenience, you know, because I have to bring people through. But he said, in advance, I just want to offer you a thank you for allowing me to show people through. Now, he did that because that's David all over. He's just a beautiful person. He's, he's always on the generous side. But he also did it because he, he said it's amazing that getting two days from the auction and a buyer wants to see it the day before the auction in a non-time, the number of times he had to ask a favour and they said, David, no problem, just bring them through, just use the key. So his intent wasn't to Mm. buy a future favour, his intent was to thank them in advance Mm. because he's a gracious and and generous guy. But it was interesting because he would say that it's very, they were always, they did whatever they could. So it's like if you go to a restaurant, you know, giving someone a tip, a waiter a tip before the meal starts, you know, kind of just to show them in advance how much appreciative you are. So little things. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that thing about the Adrian Bow because I only heard it for the well, first well, time. Well, Johnny, um, I might, and I hardly ever do it, but this is a week, because we've had um, the Momentum Weeks, I open up Real Estate Gym, um, and I do it at Christmas. Yep. I do it mid-year, and I've done it during Momentum. Realestategym.com.au is open till uh, Friday this week. Yep. And Adrian Bowe is used as a mentor in the gym. Like yes. he, he, I've used him a number of times. So and does he speak he, at the events or does he do more uh, coaching? He does, he does video coaching. Wow. So what he does is he comes in, he does his whole listing presentation, he does how he nurtures his database because he's the king of database marketing mm. and nurturing. So um, realestategym.com.au uh, if you're not a member, join up because you'll, it'll be like you've got Adrian Bow as your coach, as long as as well as all these um, other people, including yourself, John. Brilliant. You know Matt Steinway and Troy Malcolm. We've uh, we've actually have we done Troy or we haven't? No, not yet. So Troy coming soon. Coming Why not? soon. Coming Why to not? yeah. So Troy, how about we organise the top ten video digital strategies? that you need Great in idea. 2018. Cool. Can you do that, Troy? Yeah, of course. It may not be yeah. 10. You might need 10, but half a dozen. Okay. Six, seven. All righty. So, guys and girls, I want to thank our sponsors, realestate.com.au, who've been every step of the way with us for the last few years, and I look forward to seeing you uh, next week. I just felt like this was um, 
uh, a long podcast. I know that last week was one of our longest podcasts, but we're talking 40 minutes. But you know what? It's like a listing presentation. When it's flowing, you stay there for two hours. When it's not and it's not happening, you might have to leave early. And if we're making sense, don't stop us. Just in case, keep going. Keep going. Because we don't make sense that often. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Correct. This could be the only time this year that we have a 40-minute podcast. Thank you to to REA. We really appreciate They've been great sponsors of not only this, but a lot of the stuff you do and we do. Absolutely. They're great for the industry. And Tracy and the team at REA are are wonderful. So thank you for them. So we'll see you guys next Next week. week. Next week. See you then. Thanks, guys.